Morning again, church. Uh, I had my congratulations uh, on the new arrival. Uh, my oh, prediction man. is in about nine months, we're going to have uh, quite the new baby boom, <laughs> uh, hopefully. Uh, the corona boom is what they'll call it. So, Because uh, all these guys are at home with no sports. Well, that's on no sports. I mean, come on, what are you going to do? So it's, uh, we'll, we'll call them uh, coronials. Uh, I'm going to coin that phrase now. So you know it started with Al first, just so you know, right? And by the way, Goblin, you can talk all you want because nobody can understand you anyway. So even when we're together back again, just talk away. Nobody gets it. You're mumble, right? Uh, we want to have a scripture reading. We're excited to uh, get our scripture reading going again. And we've got Miriam Bennett uh, that's going to uh, read from the Word of God for us today. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Revelations 21, 5 through 7. Well, I'll tell you what, thank you so much for that scripture reading. That was great. Uh, it's great to hear those young voices reading the Word of God, isn't it? Uh, and by the way, it's great to have everybody uh, coming online, and we're grateful for uh, Ryan acknowledging that. And, you know, when you walk into a place late from the back, not everyone notices it. But what's great about this is even like Hudnall, who just signed on late, everybody can know about it because Ryan sees it and makes sure that we mention it. By the way, uh, Hud, I really didn't want to say anything, but, you know, Ryan wanted to mention that. I do want to say uh, uh, to Ryan, Ryan, we've been praying especially uh, for Miranda as well as all those on the front lines, all of our health care workers who are right there in the midst of taking care of people. And uh, that's really important that we keep them in mind. Uh, uh, Ryan, how's that been going? I mean, you're there. Miranda's working in the middle of this. Uh, How's that going with you guys? Well, it's been a challenge, of course, um, as you can imagine. But what has really helped us has been prayer. Um, Miranda worked last week and uh, worked specifically with some some people who who were uh, affected by the COVID-19 virus. And uh, I knew that was happening during the day, so uh, uh, I was in prayer all day during her shift, and I also elicited uh, some other people to to pray. Uh, I asked some of our elders, of course, our family and some of our friends, to pray all day during her shift, um, even from their own homes. And what Miranda told me, well, what was pretty interesting, she said she had an overwhelming peace during her shift. Um, what should have been a time of high anxiety and um, uh, stress and worry, uh, she felt an overwhelming peace. She told me she could feel the prayers going up on her behalf. So I want to tell you, continue to pray for our healthcare workers. Uh, we don't have to make any grand gestures. The power of prayer is enough. Um, so continue to pray for our healthcare workers. Pray for them on a daily basis because they can feel it, and it is working. So thank you, guys. Thank you, Brian. You know, uh, we really do. We want to continue to pray for them and ask you to do the same. I'm reminded of uh, a, a quote from uh, Thomas Paine who said, These are the times that try men's souls. But we say these are the times to save men's souls. By the grace and the forgiveness that comes through the story of the cross. And we, we, we really want to examine and talk about the story 
of the cross on this Palm Sunday and what that week was all about. Uh, and a lot of, some of you, not a lot of you, but a few of you have asked about Mike and I social distancing as, as we share with you. And I've told you before, I'm not at White's Bay Road. I'm at a bunker somewhere. This is all <laughs> the magic of, you know, cameras and Kellen's not really here. I've just got a green screen. There's just, and I, and I put up something Seriously, Mike and I, we appreciate the concerns. Uh, Mike and I are doing exactly what we've been asked to do in terms of sanitizing our hands, washing our hands, being careful, wiping things down. We do it all the time. But he is my husband, my work husband, or wife. I don't know how you got to. I'm, I'm identifying as husband. Okay. I'm just telling you, you right go. now. And so, you know, with Mike and I, we have a very... Uh, symbiotic relationship that we've shared with the church for a long time. So I do appreciate the concerns. Just know, uh, just like our governor said, this is the essential business uh, that we are conducting uh, to be able to inspire and encourage people with the word of God. And so we take that very seriously. And that's why we're continuing to do this uh, for you, but mostly for the almighty. We've got a lot of exciting things this week. Uh, Ryan's going to share more about it later about some devotionals we're going to encourage you guys to do. We've got, uh, Mike's been doing a peak of the week for those of you who've been tuning in. They've been great, Mike. Thank you. Way. And uh, so we got a special one this week because we're having this whole, uh, you know, Passion Week. And we're going to talk about the table and about the Passover and about the supper. And so we want you to tune in for that. Be sure to do that on, on Wednesday. And the next Sunday, of course, man, could it be better timing to talk about the resurrection and what it really means. I don't know. This thing could have hit at any time, but I'm I'm grateful that we're able to talk about what really matters during this season. Well, when there's so much uh, fear about death uh, in the world, and as Christians, we, we approach it different. I mean, uh, sure, we want to be around here. We want to, to share the hope of Jesus with everybody we can. But the urgency to get that message out to people who are dying becomes really, really high in our minds and on our hearts. And we have a message of hope. That's what Easter Sunday is all about. So I'm excited uh, as we get the chance to talk about the hope that people can have. Absolutely. And today, uh, you know, as, as Ryan mentioned, this is uh, Palm Sunday. And so, uh, you know, that's remembered as being sort of the kickoff to that week, uh, that crucial week in the life of Christ and, of course, then touching us as well. And so we want to talk a little bit about that today and especially about the cost to Jesus, the cost that he paid for us. Uh, and it started with that coming into Jerusalem, uh, but it ended, you know, basically with him coming out of a tomb. Uh, and that was all happening in a week. We, we think about how quickly things change in our current environment. We get a new rule about this or some new thing about that. But think about that week and what happened there and how Boy, it changed. The changes uh, were happening day in and day out uh, for Christ, for the disciples, for the world all around them. I mean, uh, things are happening hour by hour. You know, in Colossians uh, 2, Paul reminds us in chapter 2, verse 13 through 14. He says, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us of our sins having canceled the written code and its regulations, which stood against us and, and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So just look at it right off the bat. We see that there is this huge cost that we could not pay. The law was there. Uh, in the beginning, it was just one thing. Uh, and Adam and Eve, of course, succumbed to that one thing. And that brought sin into the world. And as you go forward, this idea about the law of sin and death is what ruled. Uh, it still does if you don't understand and know Christ. And that's why it's so important to understand what he did for you. He told the disciples that he came to fulfill 
the law. Fulfillment in him. He was perfect. He never broke it. And yet he gave himself for us. That was the cost that he gave us to destroy the law of sin and death. In Romans 8, 1 and 4, we find this verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You know, Satan tells us, uh, he tells us two two lies that really get us so much. One, he tells us, especially before we're Christians, that there's life out there at the end of a paycheck. That there's life uh, uh, going to the store, cashing that check, you know, uh, buying, the, buying the beer, heading to the river. Somehow or another, there's life out there. And that's really where life is. But really, it always ends up in death. Well, then he, he, he kind of flip-flops the lie because as we become Christians and we're set free from the law of sin and death, he still likes to try to convince us as Christians that we're still under that law of sin and death, that every time I sin, oh, uh-oh, I've died again, and now I'm lost, and I've got to say a quick prayer in order to get saved again. And so we get this back-and-forth mentality that Satan loves to get us caught into. And that happens because we don't realize, look, the law of sin and death has no rule over our lives anymore. Remember the passage. There's no condemnation. No means no. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. But if Satan can make you believe that law still exists, you'll feel guilty. You'll feel shame. You'll feel burdened. And the whole time, then, you will not be out sharing the good news because who wants to invite someone into the misery I'm already in? doesn't work that way. We've been set free from the law of sin and death. We need to be convinced of that. And that should motivate us to live even more holy for God because of what he's done for us. So not only did Jesus fulfill the law and set us free from that, that terrible law of sin and death, but he also told his disciples that he came to fulfill all prophecy as well. Everything would be fulfilled in him. So that's when you see that in the epistles, fulfill, fulfill, fulfill. All that happened in Christ. And so I think about that setting um, that you see in, in Luke 19 where Jesus is entering that city. You remember the setting and they're laying the palm branches down on that Palm Sunday and they're singing Hosanna, praise his name. And he's coming in on that, that uh, donkey foal and he was doing all that to fulfill the prophecy. This is the way the king of the kingdom would enter Jerusalem. And so the people are crying out. The disciples are saying, Hosanna, praise his name. And all these things are happening. You remember, there's always in their great moment of worship, there's always some sourpuss. And there was a, there was a Pharisee there. And he was like, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. So what was he saying in Louisiana language? Tell them to shut up. Jesus said, even if I told them to be quiet, the rocks would sing out. That's what a moment this is. But here's what struck me about that moment. So this would be a great moment, right? This would be us singing, hands raised, praise to Jehovah. Man, praise to Yahshua. We love this moment. And you know how Jesus reacted in Luke 19? He wept. He wept. You think, well, they were tears of joy, right? No, they weren't. I mean, in this moment where he was recognized as the king, the changer of all things, the way maker, he wept. 
And he said, if you, talking about Jerusalem, had only known that this day would bring you peace, and yet you didn't. See, most of the people in Jerusalem would reject him. And so he gave a little clue of what was going to happen in AD 70. Great judgment would come because they could not embrace Jesus. They didn't understand the cost of what he was about to do. I don't ever want us to be like that today. That's why I want everybody to know what he did to fulfill prophecy, to fulfill the law, the cost of that, how big it was. Man, I don't want him having to weep over me or over someone else that says, you just don't get it and you don't understand it. I want Jesus to be able to have tears of joy because we understand what he did. And now, you know, I was thinking about that, the the weeping and the things that were happening inside the heart and the emotions of Christ. Uh, it just goes to show you about the cost because it's also cost of changing his nature. Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8, the Bible says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So when Jesus became flesh, the incarnation, some people think the sacrifice started at the cross. Look, uh, it cost him somehow or another something about how he existed. See, he'll never exist like he existed in the beginning. That when he became flesh, he became man, something happened that was different. You see, in his incarnation and taking on flesh, he kept it. Because when he went back to heaven, his body was raised. And the Bible says there's one man that's a mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And First John says we're going to have his body. So Jesus never will exist quite like he existed before he became flesh. Now just kind of put that one in your hmm box and think about that for a little bit, okay? Because the sacrifice didn't just start at the cross. It started way before that. It was at the incarnation. So his nature changed. And you see this nature, uh, especially as he enters the garden. He's weeping in Jerusalem, but you find him weeping again in the garden of Gethsemane. So, uh, you know, some of the different gospels say the Mount of Olives, but in, I think it's Luke, uh, his, his uh, version, he, he tells about Gethsemane. And Mike had found out, and told me, I, didn't, I wouldn't realize, didn't realize this, that Gethsemane, the word, is the pressing is what it means. And so that's where they would take the olives, you know, from the Mount of Olives, where they were growing them, and they pressed the oil out of them at this spot. So how, not ironic, because mm. it's God, he knows what he's doing, but how ironic to us that he's there. To me, it's the most human we see, the human Jesus Christ is in that moment before he, and he knows what's about to happen. I mean, they're, they're literally on their way to arrest him, and he knows that. And so he's having this last final moment. He's, he's being pressed and squeezed. And listen to some of the words that are described in Mark 14 and also Luke 22. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He fell to the ground, and he prayed, if possible, that this hour might pass. Then he said, Abba, Father. Which Tommy told us a few weeks ago, Abba, that means daddy. I mean, that's a close, personal, agonizing part of the relationship. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. What's he showing us? He's showing us that 
death is not kind. It's not friendly. It's awful. And to die the way he was going to die and for everything that was going to happen to him for the cost of that, he's realizing that in that moment, this is going to be rough. And yet, this is why I came. But I love that because that gives me hope. As when I'm having my weakest moment, when I'm down on my knees and I'm praying because something is so awful and so terrible, I know that my Lord and Savior did the same thing. Hebrews 2, he basically told us, look, he had to be made like us in every way so he would understand what we're going through. And I get it in this moment. And it really rises up to me how much it cost him. You know, the humanity of Christ seen does something for us, too. We, I think it's too easy for people to say, well, he's God. He didn't really feel what we feel or understand what we understand. But he's 100% humanity also. That's right. So in the garden, you see his humanity. Right. And you see his struggle. And finally, his, his statement of not my will, but your will be done. And boy, to get to that point of surrender. Uh, and he knew it was going to cost him the shedding of his own blood. And he, he knew it was going to cost him his life. And uh, when we think about people giving their lives for something, uh, I, think of a, I think of a lot of stories uh, throughout history of people giving their life. It, it represents sacrifice. Uh, Romans, Paul wrote in Romans that uh, it's a scarce thing for a man to give his life for another man. But they'll do it maybe for a righteous man. But, that, but all of a sudden, Jesus has given his life for us who totally deserve to die. But uh, Al, you were telling me here a while back about what it was like uh, when you were overseas and you got to to visit the uh, uh, I think it was the beaches in Omaha and uh, Normandy. Uh, t- yeah, Normandy. So, Tell so us about you, that. Do you remember, Mike, when you quit watching the Academy Awards? Do you remember the year? <laughs> I never watched them, so Al, sorry. So see, I remember <laughs> things like that because that's the way my brain works. And so I, I quit watching in 1999. You know why? Because Saving Private Ryan, one of the greatest movies ever made, was up for Best Picture. It was a no-brainer. It was a slam dunk. Mm. It had to be. I mean, it was, a, it was a movie that moved you in your soul. Mm. You know what won Best Picture that year? You don't even know. Yeah. Shakespeare in Love. A romantic <laughs> farce of gender-bending quality. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Made by Harvey Weinstein. That's all you got to say right there. I'm out. Drop the mic. Yeah. So, I was furious. And I've never watched it since. And what a blessing that that's three hours of my life every year that I don't have to waste. But it takes me to that moment. The reason it was so touching to me, and those of you that watched it, you understand. When you, when you can walk on that beach, and look, now when you go, it's like this beautiful little seaside resort village and where people go for their holiday. And I looked at it and I thought, who could, who could sit on the beach and read a book here when you know what happened on this beach? I mean, I looked at that, and look, the blood has long been washed away after 70-something years, but in my mind, it was still there. I was thinking about those young men in those Higgins boats coming in, Mm. in that moment, right before they were going to step out there and just be chewed up by machine guns and bombs, and, and I just thought, what would that moment be like? And I thought about Jesus saying, Daddy, Father, and I thought about all those young men, it was depicted great in the movie, they were like, Mama, somebody from home. Get me out of this nightmare. And they did that for us. They did that for us so that we could be live streaming to you this morning. Man, they deserve honor. Anybody does is willing to pay the ultimate cost, which is what Jesus did. So that cost for our freedom in our history has been the, the blood of men and women. That's right. And even greater than that, the cost for our freedom 
spiritually and our life eternal has been the blood of one man. Uh, blood makes a difference. I was I was watching last night uh, again. Uh, part of the I saw the old movie, uh, the Ten Commandments yep. came on, and it was at that section where uh, where he uh, puts his uh, you know he puts his staff down or has Josh uh, puts his staff down and the air, all the water turns to blood. Yep. Blood sends a message, and then that Passover that comes uh, uh, with blood on the doorpost. And uh, we were talking about this the other day, and Al mentioned that you have blood on a, a wooden doorpost, and now you have blood on a piece of wood called the cross. Right. And it makes all the difference in the world. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 19, and I'm also going to read with that Second Corinthians, or Second Corinthians 5, 21. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And you know, the Bible tells us a lot about the timing of when Jesus came. Um, why, Why choose that era? with the Romans in charge. And and I believe it was for what happened. Part of the reason was to show how awful and bad sin was. Jesus knew the kind of death he was going to have. And look, the blood that was going to be spilled. And it was brutal. Another movie, if you want to watch a movie about it, is The Passion. Mel Gibson painted that picture. And look, it's not a pretty picture. But it's not in the scriptures either. This man, this innocent man, who, who is God, was scourged and he was flogged. And he was beaten and he was mocked in every possible way. All the shame and disgust of our whole world, past, present, and future, was put on him that day. That's how powerful it was. And then he had to carry that cross up to that hill. And look, crucifixion, the reason they chose it is because it was the most demeaning way to kill somebody. And look, it was asphyxiation. People didn't bleed to death. They finally come in, break their legs just so they couldn't get up and get the next breath of air. That's how brutal this was. The Romans knew brutality. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus, came to this earth to give his life during that era. And I believe it was because to show us how exceedingly sinful sin really is. He went through all of that. And he shed that blood for you. And he shed that blood for me. And that's the power of the cross. Take a look at the cross for just a moment. At this cross, he not only physically went through such agonizing pain and the physical shedding of his blood, but also everything that was on his mind and heart. He felt the shame of the world on him. He was stripped naked in front of his mom and as, as well as his disciples and the whole world. He felt the disgrace, Hebrews thirteen thirteen. He bore disgrace for us. Uh, Hebrews ten fourteen. By one sacrifice, he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This sacrifice that he made was so that we could be made holy. One sacrifice. See, he wore the clothes that belonged to us. He wore my shame. He wore my embarrassment, my guilt, my disgrace, and my sin that I might wear 
his holiness, his grace, his mercy, and his name. Now we've become his children, but never forget the great sacrifice that took place so that we could become his children. The cost of the cross is immense. You know, I think about the many words that Jesus uttered from that cross. And one of them that always gives me my one phrase is when he looked at these people who were, you know, killing him, you know, and, and doing all, had done all these terrible things. He said, Father, forgive them. Mm. They don't even know what they're doing. In other words, this was our plan. So I'm asking forgiveness for them. And, and they don't even understand or even get it why I would want to. It made me think about a story that you and I are both familiar with, Mike, uh, in some of our churches as well. With Gary Witherall, when he came, he, he shared his testimony a couple of times with our church. And the, the last time he and I were talking about it, I learned some things I didn't know. And he, he was talking about his wife. They were, they were missionaries, I think, in Lebanon is where it was. And this Muslim extremist comes to the door and shoots his wife in the face and kills her. And Gary wasn't at home. If he had been there, he would have killed him too. He came there to kill them because they were Christians. And he killed his wife. And so somebody finds him. They bring him home. There's police there. And his wife is still covered in the living room and him sitting there in a chair looking at this scene. And he describes what was going on in his heart. He saw these guys walking around with all their, you know, AKs and the cops and the military, whoever was there. And he said he was just this, having this rage moment. Who wouldn't be? I mean, you're, you're looking at your dead wife. He can see the blood coming out from under the cloth she's on, under. And he's like, I want to take one of those guns, and I want to go find anybody that I can find that is against Christ and just start mowing people down. That's what he was thinking in his heart. And you know what? I get it. I probably would too. And he was sitting there, and as he was looking at that, he told me that he was watching the blood from his wife, his dead wife, go into the grout of the floor, mixing in with that grout. And he's just sitting there watching that, having all these thoughts. And he said he got an image as clear as day in his mind of Jesus on the cross. I mean, crystal. And he said it was just a flash. And he said almost instantly, this rage and all that stuff just emptied because he thought to himself, that's why I live is for the cross. If Christ forgave me, this is what he's having in the moment he's sitting with his dead wife's body. But that's the power of forgiveness. That's what it does. I mean, it gives us the opportunity to forgive what seems to be the unforgivable because that's what Jesus did for us. And that impacted me when Gary told that story because I thought all the times when I don't want to extend, I've got to remember the words of the cross with the blood being spilled. Father, forgive them. That's the power of what Jesus did for mm. us. And those other words like to the thief, what, what a great mm. sound that was from the voice of Christ. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Mm. Or from his mother, woman, behold thy son. Or when he cries out to God, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When he says, I thirst, but also when he says, it is finished. And that finished word means final payment or paid in full. There's nothing I can do to pay for my sin. And nothing I have to do to pay for it. Jesus paid for it at the cross, paid in full. And he finally says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. See, his 
cross fills my heart with love. When I look at that sacrifice, his cross fills my heart with love. But his empty grave, now that fills my heart with hope. And that's what we're going to get to talk about next week, Al, when we talk about Easter. So this week, that from, from this Sunday to the next, boy, that last week of Christ, man, what a powerful, powerful week. But also what a powerful victory uh, when we get to the end of this story. And really it's not an end because we still got some great things uh, to experience with Christ when he comes again. So really the cross of Christ was the ultimate surrender for ultimate victory. And that's counterintuitive to us. You know, right now, the president, the vice president, the task force and Corona, they're all, they're using a war strategy. They're like, we got to hold to, you know, do what we're asking you to do. They keep saying surrender some things so we can have victory. And that's counterintuitive. We don't like that. We just want to kick it out, be Americans and get back to living. But surrender has a purpose. Christ surrendered for us so that we could have victory. He paid that cost. So our question to you today as you're watching this, and we know there's a lot of people watching from around the country, around the world. we got folks from the U.K. and all these different places, and we're so glad you're here. But the question is, what will you do with that? In Luke 14, Jesus was talking about cost. He says, you know, if a man's thinking about building something, or you know, there's a cost involved. If you're thinking about a war strategy, there's a cost involved. So the cost then is to you. What are you willing to do with what Jesus Christ has done for you? If you've never embraced Christ, if you've never took on his name and call yourself a Christian because you believe that he did the things that we're talking about, if you believe this word of God, you have to say, I commit to you. I'm making you the Lord of my life. And he's asked us that in that commitment, we're immersed in water to show and reenact that death, burial, and resurrection. See, we get to do that. We get to do that. If you've never done that, we want to give you that opportunity to think about it, to ponder on it, to dwell on it, because that's the most important thing we could do. We're blessed to be able to share with you the cost, and now we're saying, count it. Help, has, how does that help me be more like Jesus every single day? And as Christians, what, is, what, what do I do with that now that I'm trying to live for, for Christ? Well, regardless of how men act... Love your fellow man. Treat him with respect. Feed the hungry. Hold up the hands of, of the medical people that are on the front lines. Right. Pray for them. Uh, be patient. Be positive. Trust in the God who made you and gives us hope beyond this old world. It's a time for courage for God's people, not fear. Right. It's a time for boldness, not blame. It's a time for humility, not haughtiness. And it's a time for compassion not criticism. We love God, we love others, and we share Jesus. Doing those simple things keep us on track with being the people God wants us to be. Because God's requirements of how we ought to live life doesn't change because the circumstance around us changes. These are things we ought to always be doing because we're God's people. And God's people rise to the occasion of whatever difficulty is around them. And look, some of you have some own personal difficulties. That's why we have invitations. That's why we ask uh, uh, people to send in prayer requests. We, we continue to ask you to do that. We'll, we'll pray for uh, people. We'll still baptize people. We'll still call people to repentance. Mm-hmm. We're still concerned about the souls of people, even more now than ever, because of the urgency of this thing that's happening 
in our country. But most of all, remember now, we have the hope of Christ in our lives and in our hearts. So we're not negative people. We're not uh, doomsday people. Uh, we're people that still wake up and say this is the day the Lord's made. Amen. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it because we know God is not absent. He's active in doing something in the days in which we live. Let's pray to close. Father, we are so humbled by what we've read today and what we've talked about. Um, I mean, it overwhelms me when I think about the cost to take away the law of sin and death, to fulfill it for me, um, a sinner, a weak man uh, who falls so short of your glory. When I think about the cost of you changing your nature for you to become flesh and to become one of us, to understand us that deeply and intimately, to understand exactly what humanity is going through. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God. And Jesus, for that cross, for that blood, for that scourging, everything that you went through. Um, we, we feel so bad that you went through it, but at the same time, I'm so glad because he gives me a chance for eternal life. So again, all I can say is thank you. And for the gift of the Holy Spirit, oh my goodness, it changes us eternally. And we're so grateful and blessed because of it. I pray, Father, that anyone out there, their heart has been touched. If they haven't embraced you, today we'll start that process for them to be a follower of you and to live eternally. What a blessing. We love you. We thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.